get started. Good morning, Rock Creek. I'm going to say this up front, <clears throat> just uh, in case I sound funny. I'm sick yet again, so I apologize for that. I know, Teddy. Man, it's all Teddy's fault. Teddy, my little, little boy, 13 months old. I'll blame Teddy all I want. He, he can't refute me. Um, but yeah, I'm sick yet again. Our whole family's sick, so I'm sorry if I sound a little congested, but I'm um, feeling okay. It'll be good this morning. But uh, my name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here at Rock Creek. And this morning, we're continuing our series called Wrestling with God. And the whole idea behind this series is faith is hard. Faith is not easy. It's not easy to, to, to follow Jesus. And so we're taking, uh, week by week, we're taking different topics that may be difficult, things that we may have to wrestle with if we call ourselves a believer. Um, and so this week, is we're going to continue this series, and we're going to get into this. But before we get into uh, this morning's topic, I just wanted to take a, a, a little bit of time to talk about this, because many of you have seen it in the news. Many of you have heard about it. Um, and we take it very seriously at Rock Creek Church to, to pray for and to lift up people who've experienced tragedies across the country. But this week, there was a, another school shooting in Florida. It was at a school called Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. And 17 people were killed, and 14 were injured beyond that. And so uh, it's, it's events like this that are so difficult to wrap our minds around, to, to stomach almost, but they've become too familiar, unfortunately. Uh, but I just wanted to make sure, because this is such a big shooting, that we as, as a church, as Rock Creek, took a chance to uh, be silent, take a moment of silence, and then to pray for the victims and, and their families. So will you join me in a moment of silence? Father, we come before you as your children. We want to lift up the families and the friends of the victims in Florida of the shooting. Father, we know that events like that break your heart much more than ours. And uh, we lift them up, ask that you would show them your comfort, your peace, your goodness in, in whatever way possible in this time. I pray that your goodness and your justice, your mercy would shine through in the midst of these circumstances and that there would be relief, that there would be uh, support for those who need it. Father, I pray that you would help us as a country more and more figure out how we can address these issues as this is becoming all too common in America. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, knowing that you are a God who, who is good, who is loving. Uh, and even though it can be so hard to figure out how to reconcile these things, Father, we know that you are good, and we pray that you would be so present them, to them in a mighty way in this time. So, Jesus, we thank you and, and just lift them up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's events like this that are really difficult, and they, like I've said, they've become too frequent. In fact, this year alone, 2018, there's already been 18 school shootings. I, I found that out as I was reading about this, this particular shooting. This was a, a very, very big one with many casualties, but there have already been 18 in 2018. 
and we're a month and a half in. So it's, it's events like this, circumstances like this that can lead many of us, many people to doubt and to struggle and to wrestle with, with God too. Like how, how, can you, how can you allow this to happen, God? How can you, I mean, do you even exist? Or if you do exist, can you even be called good if you allow things like this to happen over and over again? And we didn't plan it this way, but, but this morning we're talking about doubt. And this is a very heavy, uh, heavy example to bring up, but it's a reality that we face in this world. And it's one of those things where, you know, for those of you who may try to put on a tough face and say that you, you don't doubt or you don't wrestle with these things or you don't doubt God's existence or his goodness, I mean, this is, this is a real example that, I mean, we, we, we have to face this. We have to reconcile these types of incidents. So this week we're talking about doubt. But I also want to expand this to... to to cover any sort of doubt. Like it could, it could even be a very, very small doubt. But I've got three categories just to help us to understand the different types of doubts that I'm talking about this morning. So the first category is intellectual doubts. So this, this could um, include something like, does God even exist? Does God exist? That's an intellectual doubt. It's a concept, right? Do you believe he exists or does he, does he not? How do you support that? How do you refute it? Et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that is an intellectual doubt. Another one is, can we trust this book? Can we trust the Bible? Is the Bible trustworthy? That's an intellectual doubt. The next category is spiritual doubts. Now, spiritual doubts are a little bit different in the sense that, you know, maybe you don't doubt that God exists, but maybe you doubt things about God. Maybe you doubt his goodness. Again, in the, in the light of, of much of the evil in the world, we can doubt if God is really good. Or maybe it's in individual situations. Maybe we know God is good, but we doubt, okay, God, are you going to show your goodness in this situation? Maybe we doubt our calling, Right? God, have you really called me this, to this? Are you really leading me in this direction? That's a spiritual doubt. And then the third category is a circumstantial doubt. And this is, again, something like the shooting would probably go into this category of the circumstances around us cause us to doubt. The circumstances that we find ourselves in cause us to wrestle and figure out, like, okay, God, where are you? You know, if I believe you to be good, if I believe you to be all-powerful, I believe that you love me, where are you right now in the midst of my circumstances some of you in this room may feel like you're at your wit's end or you don't have anywhere else to turn and you've got nothing else behind you. Um, your safety net's gone. And in that situation, it's normal. It's, 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 in fact, it's very common to, to doubt, of course. Why wouldn't you? So we're talking about all of these doubts, right? You know, take, take these categories as just guidelines to help you think about maybe things that you've been personally doubting in your own life. But as we get into this topic, I want to clarify a little bit about this word doubt. Because I think we, we misunderstand what the word really means. The word itself simply means a feeling of uncertainty. That's all it means. But we as Christians, some, sometimes we're really good at being extremely uncomfortable with doubt. Because it makes us feel weak. It makes us feel like our faith isn't very strong. So we have this caricature that what it means to be spiritually mature or strong, if you will, like spiritually strong means to not have any doubts anymore. We've, we've done away with them. We've figured them all out. We've got all the answers, and now we're, we're completely confident, 100% good. That's what it means to be spiritually mature. But I don't, I don't believe that at all. I don't think that's the case at all. Because I think often what, what we end up doing is we end up shoving our doubts under the rug, and we, we ignore them, and for just pr try to pretend like they're not there in order to, to make ourselves feel strong. But I think we all have doubts, if not now that we've had them in the future or we will have them um, or we've had them in the past, and we will have them in the future. But 
the biggest way I want to clarify this is that doubt is not the opposite of faith. I think that's where we get this wrong. Sometimes we, we, we create this false dichotomy that, that doubt is the opposite of faith. So to doubt means that we don't have faith. Or to, fa- to have faith means we don't have doubt. But that's, that's false because faith itself, to, to believe in something, doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have any uncertainty. So there's a, a very prominent philosopher from the 20th century named Paul Tillich. He says this, doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It is an element of it. It's not the opposite. It's actually a part of faith. The doubt is an element. It is a part of what it means to have faith, to to trust. Anne Lamott takes this a little bit further. She says, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. And I I love how she, she puts that because it makes sense, right? If you are completely certain of something, if something's been proven to you without a shadow of a doubt, you don't need faith. You don't need faith anymore. If, if we could prove God, if we could prove that he exists, if we could 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt prove that he rose again from the dead after being crucified, then we wouldn't need faith. We wouldn't need it. So certainty is the opposite of faith. And back to Paul Tillich's thought, to, to an extent, we almost have to have some level of doubt, some level of uncertainty in order to have faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 is, is probably the most popular passage quoted on faith. And it says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And I've heard people quote this passage almost to, to fill up or to, to support this caricature of like, okay, if I have faith, that means I have to have complete confidence and complete assurance and I can't have any doubt whatsoever because I have faith. But again, look at the wording. Things that we hope for things that we do not see, those are uncertainties. Those are uncertainties. So faith is in the midst of our uncertainties, in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of the things that we cannot prove or cannot demonstrate, we choose to trust God. We choose to believe. We choose to have faith. Because let's be honest, as Christians, we we can't prove that God exists. We can't. You can't prove that God doesn't exist either, but you can't prove God's existence. It's impossible. So we need faith. But that doesn't mean that we can't have doubt. Doubt is not a bad thing. Again, in the midst of all this, I want to emphasize this more and more. Doubt is not a bad thing. If you have doubts this morning about this whole Christianity thing, about Jesus, if you have doubts about that, that's okay. And that's good. Okay? It is good. It's okay to have doubts and to bring them and to, to honestly wrestle with them because doubt is normal. In fact, I, I would honestly tell you, I think I would have more skepticism for someone who claimed to be a believer and said that they had never doubted anything in their life. <laughs> they had never doubted God's existence. I'd look at them and be like, Are you, have you been honest with yourself? Because there's a lot of evil in the world. And we're told that God is good and he's all powerful. You know, that's the, the perennial problem of evil that people always pull up. But it, it, I mean, it's, it's a problem. It's an issue. It's something that we have to wrestle with because We're told to believe things that don't necessarily line up with the world at times. So I would honestly say that I believe that wrestling with our doubts is a sign of maturity. Pretending like we have none is a sign of immaturity. So we have to honestly wrestle with our doubts, talk about them, uh, seek answers. 
And I say this also because we have a lot of support in the Bible of a lot of very, very important people who've doubted. Many, if not most, if not all, of the big spiritual giants that we look to, either in Scripture or in our, in our, or in our lives, they've doubted at some point in their lives, in sometimes big ways. So biblically, you guys know John the Baptist doubted that Jesus was the Messiah? John the Baptist is the guy that led the way. He had his own ministry before Jesus showed up to the scene. And when Jesus came, he saw him and said, look, the Lamb of God who came to save the world. The Lamb of God. And then he told all of his followers, like, look, that's the guy that we've been waiting for. All of my followers, all of you guys need to go follow Jesus. He gave everything. He, he had so much faith. He looked at Jesus and said, I am unworthy to even untie his sandals. Here's a guy who had so much faith. He knew who Jesus was. But later in life, when he was in prison, he was imprisoned, he doubted. And so what did he do? He sent messengers to go, to go to Jesus, to go speak with him, and to ask him, hey, are you, are you really the guy? Are you really the Messiah? Or is there someone else coming? I just need to know. John the Baptist doubted. Jesus answered him uh, in a very, very gracious way. If you want to read more about that, that's in Luke chapter 7, for those of you who are taking notes. Luke 7, 18 through 25. But John the Baptist doubted. Another great one is Peter. The apostle Peter, Peter doubted. Peter is kind of a great example in the Bible of someone who is always the first to go. He's always the first to, to, to step out. He's always the first, but sometimes he steps out prematurely or you know, jumps before the gun shoots. But Peter, he's the guy who steps out of the boat. He's the, he's the only disciple who steps out of the boat to walk on water, to go out to Jesus. Right? He takes his eyes off Jesus, though, at some point and starts to sink. And Jesus tells him, he's like, you little faith, why did you doubt? But I mean, Peter got out of a boat and was walking on water. It's pretty impressive. But then later, he also tells Jesus, Jesus says, okay, I have, he, he tells his disciples this many times, that he's going to have to die. He's going to be persecuted. He's going to have to die on a cross. And, and uh, Peter says, look, anywhere you go, I'll go. I'm going to die with you. And, and Jesus is like, hold up, are you sure about that? And sure enough, when Jesus is arrested, Peter denies him three times because he doubted. There's so many other examples in Scripture. I don't want to get to all of them, but um, I want to touch on some, some strong Christians, too, that throughout history. C.S. Lewis is a guy that I quote relatively often. He's a guy that I, I love to read. I love his books. The way he thinks about the faith is incredible. But C.S. Lewis himself, he didn't so much doubt that God exists, but he doubted God's goodness because his wife suffered immensely for a very long time of her life in pain. So C.S. Lewis wrote a short book called The Grief Observed where he reflected on these things, and he was brutally honest. He's like, God, are you even good? So he doubted. Mother Teresa, someone we lift up and praise and say this is someone who gave everything she had in immense faith to follow God. Well, after she passed away, we discovered a handful of letters that she had written, and in those letters, she frequently writes about loneliness, about how she didn't hear from God she didn't hear his voice about personal hypocrisy, that she felt like she was a hypocrite, and she doubts her own faith in those letters. So even Mother Teresa doubted. Martin Luther, for those Reformation buffs, in the year 1500s, roughly that area, era, the big Reformation of the church, Martin Luther, one of the biggest names, he doubted. He actually doubted his salvation, which is kind of interesting. Here's such a strong man of God who, let, who was one of the frontrunners of this big uh, Reformation of the entire church, he doubted that he was even saved. 
He doubted his calling, whether God had really called him to the ministry, and he doubted what God thought about him. Another Reformation name, John Calvin. John Calvin doubted too. One thing I love about him in his writings, though, he makes it very clear that he actually wasn't afraid of doubt, though. He wasn't afraid of it, and he even said that it was a normal part of our faith experience and that we should expect it, that we should expect doubt. Why? Because if we take this book seriously, which we do as Christians, this tells us some really weird things, like donkeys talking. Um, well, there's a funny story about Elijah who sicks a, uh, some bears on some kids because they called him baldy. There's some weird things that happen in this book, right? We're told to believe in a God who, who we cannot see, who we cannot touch, who we don't get to speak to face to face. We're told to believe in a God like that. We're told to believe um, concepts like the Trinity where God is somehow three but is somehow also one at the same time. And it seems like a logical impossibility. But again, that's what we're taught in Scripture. So if we're taught to believe these things, we should doubt because it doesn't, it's hard to wrap our minds around or it doesn't seem to line up with what we see. Again, I mentioned the problem of evil. The problem of evil, the fact that there is even evil in the world is something that Christians have to wrestle with because we believe in a God who is all-powerful, can do whatever he wants, and he is all good. We have to wrestle with that. It doesn't come easy. So I love how John Calvin writes about it. It's just we should expect it. It's normal. It's okay. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to pretend like we don't doubt. And I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't assume to say that I, I'm in this category of people at all, but I've doubted too. And I'm, I'm, on, I'm the guy on the stage speaking to you. I've doubted. I've had many moments of doubt in my life. And in the last couple of years, Amanda, my wife could attest to this, I think more than anything in the last couple of years, I've begun to doubt a whole lot more God's love for me. That's something that I've doubted and I've wrestled with because the more I've grown up, the more I've aged... I, I get a, a greater glimpse into my heart, into my selfishness, especially ever since I got married and had a kid. Those are two great things to show you how selfish you are. Ooh, my goodness. <laughs> um, but I wrestle with, with when I know myself more, I'm like, God, how in the world can you love me? How in the world can you love me? I wrestle with that. I also wrestle with my calling. You know, sometimes I doubt that. I feel like God has called me to pastoral ministry, but there's plenty of times the same... In, same vein where I look at myself, I'm like, really? God, you've called me to this? Am I cut out for this? Do I have what it takes? You've really called me to this? And I, I, you know, I go through these doubts. So I want you to know that, that you're not alone if you've doubted. Even I doubt. And it's normal. It's okay. We have to wrestle with them. I want to take a, a little bit of a deeper look into a psalm. Psalm 73. I'm not going to have it on the screen, so if you want to pull out a Bible... Um, from the chair in front of you or on your phone, uh, I invite you to do that. But Psalm chapter 73, if you open your Bible almost like smack dab in the middle, you'll probably hit the Psalms. I think with our Bible, it's page 414 as well, so you can turn there. But Psalm 73 is a Psalm written by a guy named Asaph. Sometimes we think that, that David wrote all the Psalms, not necessarily the case. Uh, there's a guy named Asaph who wrote uh, a handful. He was... Uh, a priest or an officer or something along those lines underneath David who was really involved in the worship of the ancient Israelites. So he wrote a handful of the Psalms that made it into Scripture. So these, this is the worship book of the ancient Israelites. And here in this Psalm, Asaph deals with his doubt in worship. So let's read this together, starting in verse 1. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, 
to those who are pure in heart. So he starts off with, with an affirmation of praise. Then he continues. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogance when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds knows no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouth lays claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, kind of mockingly, well, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? What is the, or this is what the wicked are like. They're always carefree. They increase in wealth. And surely in vain... Have I kept my heart pure? There's his doubt. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I have been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. We'll stop there. And I love Asaph's honesty. This is honest. This is raw. I'm sure many of you have thought this before, right? Asaph looks around the world and says, okay, look, all the corrupt, all the wicked, all the evil people, all the people that manipulate others to get what they want, they're doing great. They're rich. They, they don't seem to have any of the same issues that I have. They don't seem to be sick. They don't be seem to do, like, what is going on? I'm following God. I'm righteous, and yet I feel like I'm being punished every single day of my life. What is going on? Is this even worth it to follow God? That's his doubt. That's what he's wrestling with. But I love his punchline there in verse 17. He says, until I entered the sanctuary of God. It was then that he understood their final destiny. And, the, and if you keep reading, which I encourage you to do so, uh, Asif just lays out, look, I understand that, that eternity is a very long time, and even though that they're experiencing prosperity now, God is just, and he will give them what they deserve. And that those who follow Christ, those who follow God, will benefit. They will see ultimate prosperity throughout all of eternity. So his doubt was answered. He went to go seek God's presence, seek God's face, and he, his, his doubt was answered. So that gives us a pattern that we should follow. Doubt ultimately should prompt us to grow in our faith. Doubt should be a tool that prompts us to go grow with Jesus, to build our relationship with him. There's nothing wrong with doubt. Nothing wrong with it. It's simply a tool. It depends on how we use it, right? If we use it as as a set of circumstances to say, okay, I can grow. I can learn more about God. I can, I can learn to trust in him more. Then, then it's used properly. But if we let it simmer, if we just let it go unanswered, if we shove, shove it under the rug, that's the problem. And I think if we don't deal with our doubts, if we don't wrestle with them, if we don't seek answers, that's when doubt begins to erode our faith completely. And I've seen it happen before. 
I've seen people pull out like one big doubt, right? The problem of evil. It's something that I've been mentioning a couple times this morning. Some people will whip that out as, as an excuse card almost to, to keep Jesus in the church at arm's length and say, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not committing, I'm not investing at all until you answer this doubt. That's a big one, okay? But again, I've seen people do that, and then they don't actually seek real answers. They don't actually wrestle with God on it. And then slowly, they just get further and further and further away, and their doubt just erodes away. So I think that's the problem. The problem is when we don't wrestle with them. But I think God gives us doubts, or he, he has allowed us to doubt, in order for us to grow. I want to look at another uh, instance in Scripture. I want to look at a man in particular that we usually associate with this word doubt. Does anybody have a guess as to who I'm thinking of? Thomas. Thomas. The Apostle Thomas. He has a nickname. Doubting. Doubting Thomas. He has a nickname. That nickname is not in Scripture. We gave that to him. Poor, poor Thomas. We're going to look in, in John Chapter 20, if you're flipping there yourself. John 20, it's the fourth gospel that talks about Jesus' life. And this occurs after Jesus has already died. He's already been crucified. He's risen again. He's been resurrected. And he's already appeared to some people. He's appeared actually to every apostle, all of the 12, except for Thomas. And so we're going to read this passage where Thomas gets this name, Doubting Thomas. It's John 20, 24 through 29. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, this is the big punchline. This is where Thomas gets his name. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We give Thomas kind of this bad rap because he had to see Jesus in order to believe, so he doubted, right? Doubting Thomas. I feel that's kind of unfortunate for him because, again, we're talking about a man here who gave everything to follow Jesus. But let's take a step back and get the whole story in scope here, okay? Here's a guy named Thomas. Jesus comes by, the Messiah, okay? He gives everything he has to follow this man, Jesus, for three years. And then ultimately, Jesus is killed. I mean, you think that would rattle someone, right? It's pretty understandable. It rattled the rest of the disciples too. Thomas had some incredible faith to give what he gave to follow Jesus. And the problem necessarily, it wasn't necessarily that that he didn't believe Jesus, the, the problem was that he didn't really understand. And none of, the, none of the apostles did because Jesus, while he was alive, kept telling them, hey guys, I'm gonna be persecuted. I'm going to have to die. And they're like, they had no concept for that because they're like, well, you're supposed to liberate us from Rome. So I don't, we don't get that. They didn't understand. So when he finally died, all the disciples were just like, oh, okay, shoot, it's over. It's over. So Thomas 
I think his reaction was, was plenty normal. And then when the other disciples had seen him, they had seen Jesus, they started telling Thomas, like, hey, we've seen him. You know, from, from Thomas's perspective, you're like, I would, I would probably act the same way. Okay, whoa, you say you've seen him. I need to see him too before I really believe. I need to see this guy too. I'm not going to believe. I want to see what you saw. And that's the great thing too is, is, is all of the disciples, every single one of the other disciples actually got to see Jesus, hit the holes in his hand, the hole in his side. They got to see that before they believed. Thomas was just saying, I want, I want what you guys saw first. I want the same evidence. That's all. And then Jesus graciously shows up says to Thomas personally, like, Thomas, look, here, put your finger here. Put your hand here to my side. You don't have to doubt anymore. It's okay. You can believe. I think we, we read this a little bit harshly. We kind of, I don't know how you've read it in the past. I, I used to read this as if this was a burn, right? When Jesus said, because you've seen me and have believed, blessed are those who haven't seen and believed me. I kind of, I used to read that and be like, ooh. Jesus, you just burns Thomas, man. Oh, ouch, Thomas, that hurts. Boop. You're on his naughty list. But that's not how, I don't think that's how Jesus said this at all. Because he could have said that to any single one of the disciples and it would have been true. It wasn't just Thomas. I don't think he should be known for doubting. In fact, I think that the way he said this was, is more realistic because there were, beyond the disciples, there were probably about 500 people-ish that had seen Jesus before he ascended into heaven. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. But he tells this to Thomas, to the disciples, to say, look, you guys have all seen me and you've believed. That's great. But I'm going to go to heaven, I'm going to ascend into heaven here soon, and people are going to have to believe in me without actually having seen me. So blessed are they who have not seen and who have believed. You know, I think this is forward thinking. But again, I want to flip this on its head a little bit because we, we still tend to think of Thomas, oh man, he doubted, okay, whatever. But what did he do? What was his initial response immediately after Jesus showed up? Immediately after Jesus showed up and showed him the holes, his scars, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. I don't know if you realize this, but Thomas was the first person the first person to ever look Jesus in the face and say, my God, you are my God. They understood him as Lord or teacher or Messiah, you know, these other things, but that didn't mean God. He's the first person to look at him and say, you are my God. That is incredible faith. That is unbelievable. And what we see in this situation, in this story, is that Thomas had a doubt he met Jesus face to face. Jesus answered that doubt and his faith grew immensely. In fact, that profession, when Thomas said that Jesus was his God, that's one of the very, like, that's the most, one of the most important Christological sayings that we have. Because it was very clear right from the get-go that the church worships Jesus as God, not as some lesser being, but as God himself. That's incredible faith. So again, that's our pattern. Doubt should be a tool that leads us to grow in our relationship with God, to grow our faith. It's a tool to be used for that. When we go to God, when we wrestle with our doubts, 
we'll grow. We'll be strengthened. I want to tell you a story about my son, Teddy. So he's about 13 months old now. Uh, and it, this doesn't seem like it was that long ago. It probably wasn't. But back when he was about five months, six months old, uh, my wife, Amanda, and I, we decided to uh, sleep train him. Sleep training. You, you parents may have heard of it. Um, there's no such thing as training a toddler or an infant. You, you, can't tra- you can't train a baby, okay? It's really sleep torture. They just call it training so you feel better about doing it. <laughs> but what you do is you lay your baby down and let them cry until they fall asleep on their own. That's all it is. And so it's, it's hard. I mean, the idea is you're supposed to, I don't know, give them their, an opportunity to, to soothe themselves. They don't soothe themselves. They just cry and cry and cry until they fall asleep. <laughs> but the first time we did it, this was heartbreaking because we, we put them down, and he cried for one hour straight, like an hour. And we were, we were looking at our watches. We were looking at the clocks. We're just like, wait, okay, how long has it been now? Okay, just 30 seconds. Oh, gosh. And it is breaking our hearts to, to listen to him cry. And I was so thankful that my mom was there because she, she actually pushed us out of the house. She's like, you guys need to get out of this house. Go walk around the neighborhood. I'm here. I got it. I'll listen out. And we're like, okay. So we went and walked around the neighborhood, and we had never walked so fast in our lives because we're just, we're new parents, right? We, we're, we're worried. We're just like, oh, our son is crying. But if you can at all, I don't know what, how much Teddy was thinking at that point or what he was thinking, but... You know, if you can get into that situation, man, Teddy had no proof. He had no reason to think that we would come back. Because it was the first time we had ever left him to cry himself to sleep. It was the first time we'd ever done that. He had no reason to believe that we would come back. I mean, we were there. We were listening. We, we were very present, and our hearts were breaking, and we knew that it was good for him to learn how to sleep on his own, but man, he didn't know that. And over time, I mean, now he's 13 months old. He still cries sometimes when we put him down, but it's, it's way different now because he knows, we've proved it to him day after day after day after day after day after day that we will come back every single day. Every single time we lay him down, we will come back. We've had to prove that to him over time. And in, in the midst of that, in the midst of his doubt, we've grown in a stronger relationship. And I think that is very similar to how we wrestle with God, with our doubts. You may be going through something that you've never faced before in your life, and it may seem like, okay, how in the world are you in this, God? How in the world can you deliver me from this? But I believe that God will be on the other end of that. He'll get you through it, and on the other end, you'll, you will have an experience that you can look back to and say, God proved to me then that he would provide for me and so now I can trust that he'll provide for me in the future. It's about growing in our relationship with God. When we have intellectual doubts, if we, if we even doubt that God exists, we use that as an opportunity to gr- go do research, to find out answers, so then we can have more confidence, and maybe God wants to use that to help us to um, alleviate other people's doubts, to find more confidence that he exists. Our doubts are reasons to grow, but if we don't go to God... And if we don't honestly wrestle with him, that's not going to happen. I can tell you personally that God has brought me so much closer to him in the midst of my own doubts. It's in the midst of my doubt that God truly loves me personally. In the midst of that, 
that God finds a way to communicate to me how much he loves me. It's when I doubt my calling, whether, you know, when I doubt that God has really called me to ministry, he finds a way. He, tell, he you know, brings people to me to encourage me, to, to build me up, and then he tells me, yes, I've called you to this. I've, I've created you for this. It's okay. This is where I'm leading you. It's in the midst of those doubts that we can grow, but we have to go wrestle with them with God. And he may not answer your doubts how you want him to, but he'll answer you. Just as he answered John the Baptist, just as he answered Thomas, he'll answer you eventually. So all that to say, doubt is not a bad thing. Don't feel shame. Don't feel like you have to hide it. And I actually encourage you, and I hope that every single person in this room would have something in their minds, either that you're doubting now or wrestling through now, or maybe something you've doubted in the past. If you have something in mind I want you to hold on to it and wrestle with it with God this week. Wrestle with it um, with your life groups. And really just take those as opportunities to, to grow in your relationship with God. But at that, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much that you have us here. I pray that you would help each and every one of us wrestle with our doubts because they're normal, they're, they're natural. They come in this whole thing we call faith. And Father, I pray that you would give us the ability to trust you even when it seems so hard to, even when everything around us doesn't seem to be working in our favor. Help us to trust you. Help us to take these as opportunities for you to show up in a big way. Father, I pray more than anything that you would just give us the courage to wrestle. Give us the courage to come to you, to come to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to share what we're going through, what we're doubting, what we're wrestling with. And I ask that you would draw us closer to you, help us to learn more about you, your character, your plans for our lives. And ultimately, God, we ask that you'd be with us this week. Just walk with us, Holy Spirit, live inside of us and draw us closer to, to your perfect plan for our lives. I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.